You want the truth? I'm going to shoot with you on this one. One, two, is this on? Um, I'm Ryan Siddle, and I feel like it's every wrestling podcast's prerogative to make that joke when they start. Welcome to the Rowdy Puddy Podcast. As I said, I'm Ryan Siddle, and with me today is the degeneration to my ex, the rock to my sock, and the heart to my foundation. It's Joey Mills. Hello, Joey. How you doing, Ryan? Happy to be here. Good. Um, how's everything going? It's going well. The sun is out, finally, and excited to talk about some graps. And by the time this podcast comes out, the sun will have disappeared and we're about to be rainy Manchester, but that's fine. Um, as I said, we're the Rowdy Potty Podcast, and you've got loads of wrestling podcasts, but each week we're not going to be talking about Mojo Rowley's uh, main event versus Zack Ryder. Instead, we're going to find a topic that hopefully nobody else is talking about. Um, and we'll get on to uh, today's topic in a short while. Uh, but Joey, um, yesterday the world of wrestling was sadly hit with the news that Bruno San Martino, the, uh, the living legend um, as he was, um, passed, sadly passed away. Um, I know you'd like to talk about Bruno for a bit. Yeah, basically Bruno San Martino, if you're not familiar, is one of the most influential figures in wrestling history. and. Statements like that get thrown around a lot. Um, you know, everyone almost nowadays with, with the large scope of the internet and the Hall of Fame is considered a legend. But Bruno Sammartino really made some changes to the way that wrestling's still perceived even today. Um, going back to when he started, um, he joined what used to be known as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF, that is the same company that's now known as the WWE. He was their second ever champion. He um, won the title from Nature Boy Buddy Rogers and he carried that belt for eight years and he was the, the first of the sort of great babyface champions for what is now the WWE and you can, you can trace that way of doing business through him, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, onto Steve Austin, The Rock, and today with John Cena and, and now what they're trying to do with Roman Reigns. The, unlike the NWA, which is always built on heels like Harley Race or Ric Flair, um, the WWE has always been seen as this babyface territory and that started with Bruno and the amazing job that he did, the, the multiple sellouts of Madison Square Garden, just drawing huge, huge numbers. He had a classic match with Larry Zbysko at Shea Stadium um, just absolutely massive draw, massive personality and someone who you can see from the outpouring of emotion was so well loved within professional wrestling and even though Bruno Sammartino's gone, his legend will live on through the, the people he wrestled, the people he interacted with and the influence that's still felt in the company today and our thoughts are with his family at this difficult time and may he rest in peace. Brilliant, thanks very much, Joey. Um, and on to something um, a, a bit more, uh, well, a, a bit, some happier times um, and some very stranger times for yourself. Uh, you uh, you uh, became an internet, well, not an internet sensation, but you uh, pa partially became viral in the world of Impact Wrestling last night when you uh, interviewed Scott Steiner. Tell us about that. 
Well, um, I, I should just say um, now with my new found internet celebrity status, I will be signing autographs at WrestleCon. Um, come over to the booth, say hi, get an eight by ten. I'll just be next to Virgil, um, the wrestling superstar. So we're gonna team up, sign some autographs there for you. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. Jumped on a media call with with Big Popper Pump yesterday. His fir- the first two words out of his mouth actually um, were "fuck off," which is. Pretty much exactly what you want from Scott Starr. Was that specifically to you or to, was that to everybody? That was to everybody. That, that was, was a, a fuck off for the room okay. um, from, from Big Popper Pump. But he got, got into a lot, of, a lot of subjects. He started off by saying that um, his opponents at the upcoming TNA, uh, sorry, Impact Wrestling pay-per-view, Mexican tag team called LAX, Scott Steiner, said that he's going to beat them and then make them mow his lawn. Okay. Um, so just a bit of casual racism for him. A little bit of casual racism. He later followed that up by calling Hulk Hogan a racist. Excellent. So I mean, the pot calling the kettle. Yeah, the pot calling <laughs> the kettle. Let's leave it there. Um, and but I mean, he's, I guess he's not wrong there. He's he's not wrong. He's I mean, real recognises real, and obviously racist recognises racist. But it was it was it was interesting to talk to Scott. I mean, great guy. He's been around all the major promotions at one point or another. And I had my own run-in with him when he um, called me a bitch, which I enjoyed immensely. That's going straight on the CV. <laughs> um, Impact Wrestling were kind enough to tweet out the moment that the former World Heavyweight Champion literally called me a bitch, which I enjoyed greatly. And I think the best thing about it is he, he went on afterwards to cut almost cut a promo. He was talking about being the big bad booty daddy and how he takes all the freaks back to his hotel room and everything and just, as sometimes as a, we do these media calls and you know, you, you act professional, but there's a, there's a little moment where you do kind of sit back, especially when something like this happens. And you've just, you've just got to think like, I'm a fan of this stuff. This is really cool. Like I grew up watching the second wrestling show I ever went to, Scott Steiner headlined it. Um, so to, to have this guy cussing me out I mean I, you know I maybe wouldn't have wanted it face to face because he is huge but to, to speak to him over the phone with a, a safe distance and an ocean or two bet- between us it was great fun it was it was a fun time I, I look forward to um, reading the interview and I hope that you'll be including the moment that he calls you a bitch in it that's I, I mean I think that's the headline that's what I'm known for now <laughs> the, I'm, the headline the, is very much Joey gets called a bitch um, now we're going to move on to this week's uh, topic of discussion. Um, it is now the 19th of April, recording date. Um, it's probably won't go out until next week. We have had the first quarter of the year, of the wrestling year, and of the normal year as well. Weirdly, they, they run side by side. Um, we've had WrestleMania. Uh, we've had everything that goes with WrestleMania. So we thought that this week we would discuss our matches of the year so far. Now this is by no means a definitive list. Um, There are huge gaps in my um, wrestling viewing. There'll be big gaps in Joey's. Um, So um, if you are listening to this and you are getting irate, please don't. Um, It's all personal preference. Um, But do tweet us what your matches of the year up until WrestleMania were. That's that's where we're going with this. So we'll include WrestleMania and we'll include everything that's in that in that happened that weekend in New Orleans and elsewhere. Um, but out, uh, after that, and it's it doesn't count. We'll cover that at a later date. Um, but if you are listening and you do have some some things you'd like to tell us, then please do do tweet us. Do 
and we'll uh, at Rowdy Poddy um, on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and, and yeah, let us know. So let's kick things off. Joey, tell me what one of your matches of the year is. Well, let, let's begin at the beginning. Let's go right to the start of the year. Um, for me, one of the one of the best matches of this year started right at the start. Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan, and it would be Chris Jericho against Kenny Omega. Now, so often, so if I could just stop you here, Joey, sure. because you've gone with that match first. Um, most people won't go with that match from the card, would they? I don't, I don't think. Would, 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 would more people go with that match, or do you think that more, most people would go with a Cardos match? I, th- I think it's a tricky one. I think the, the great thing with Wrestle Kingdom as a show and the way they executed it is the two matches are so different. Um, Akada versus Tetsuya Naito for the title. Very traditional, slow build, New Japan style main event. They built slowly, they sort of worked the crowd into a frenzy, increased the pace as they went until they were hitting each other with bombs and big moves towards the end. For me, Jericho versus Omega edges it because Akada versus Naito was a very good version of a style we see a lot of. Whereas Jericho versus Omega was almost sort of this throwback. It was a, a melding together of maybe an Attitude Era style main event with modern pro wrestling. You, you had Chris Jericho, who was a iconic wrestler in the 90s and the early 2000s in particular, against Omega, who's arguably the best in the world today. And they sort of perfectly matched together their two styles. So it was a wild brawl that included these incredible sequences of, of pro wrestling in the middle. And I just think Jericho keeping up with someone like Omega at his age, I mean, the dude's nearly 50 now. And to be able to, to match Kenny Omega and especially on such a big stage at the Tokyo Dome. For me, it was just, it was the perfect match. Um, Naito against Okada, as you rightfully say, was very good, but I feel like there's been better examples of that style this year, whereas Jericho Omega, I don't think anyone has done that sort of amalgam of hardcore wrestling along with the sort of technical modern style as well as those two did. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point and I really enjoyed, um, I think I thought the build up to that match was brilliant. Um, I mean everything they did from Jericho appearing on the um, on the, on the screen on the Titan Tron um, last at the end of last year I can't remember what the which uh, which event it was where he first turned up um, but I just thought like the whole way that they executed that match from from build from the build up um, with Jericho attacking um, Omega at press conferences and, and all sorts and it just it turned Wrestle Kingdom I think has grown. Um, in stature in the, you know in the in the western world of wrestling fans in the last couple of years more and more um, and i just think that jericho being on that card and the way that they helped build it over on social media and everything just took it to another level it had people really invested and interested in it i, I think you're absolutely right um, someone like jericho is as mainstream a name as you really get below someone like the rock or john cena He's right on that next. If you know, if those two guys are, are A plus, he's right on that A. You know, Fozzy the band are getting bigger and bigger each time. He's a huge presence on social media. He's a radio and TV presenter in the states. He's a name that every wrestling fan knows. So even the more casual fan 
would would look at something like Wrestle Kingdom and be like, oh, Chris Jericho in one of the headline matches. And it's something that they would check out. And obviously now with the internet, with New Japan World, it's something that's so easy to access, something that's so easy to watch. That I think they, they drew huge numbers of international subscribers in by Jericho being there. I know this is going to make me sound like an utter philistine behind the times or whatever, but I don't really watch much New Japan. Um, but I did subscribe to New Japan World and I watched two matches and it was the, the final two matches and probably wouldn't have, you know, I, I mean, I probably would have, you know, tuned in for um, Okada Naito um, anyway, but um, I, I knew I had to get um, rest, uh, New Japan World just for that, just for the one month, just watch Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom because of... Uh, because of, of, of Jericho as well. Okay, so um, that's your first match. We're not really planning on necessarily doing it my match, your match, but um, I'm going to jump in with one um, and also go chronological and take it back to towards the end of January. Um, and we are at chapter 62 of Progress, um, the British independent wrestling company. Um, and I have uh, Walter versus Timothy Thatcher on my list. Um, let me take you into a place that I like to call Walter Corner. It's somewhere where we'll probably be returning to quite often um, because I don't think there's many people in the world performing at this man's level uh, right now. Uh, Walter is um, an independent wrestler in Europe and he has um, also been in America. Um, he made his name in the uh, German promotion WXW and he also does a lot in progress where he is their Atlas champion which is the over 205 uh, pound uh, mark it's the opposite of um, obviously WWE's cruiserweights because in an independent scene most people are under 205 pounds so um, that's where the, the over 205 is, is with and, and Timothy Thatcher who is um, his partner in WXW his tag team partner his stable mate if you will um, and yet this match is one of the most brutal matches you'll see um, it is basically Walter beating the living daylights out of Timothy Thatcher to the point that his chest was just a broken mess. The amount of slaps to the chest were just incredible. Um, Thatcher gets, don't get me wrong, this isn't a squash match by any means uh, means at all. Um, Timothy Thatcher gets in a hell of a lot of um, his own offence. it's just, it's brutal, it's brilliant. I mean, the, there's, there's a standing ovation towards the end of the match. Now, we're not talking about the end of the match when the one, two, three gets counted. We're talking about towards the end of the match, there's just a sequence of incredible moves and shots. And there's, the, 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 I mean, I was there um, in Camden in the ballroom and you just felt that you had to stand. You couldn't stay seated for that moment. The moment just lifted you to your seat. The sequence is just incredible. And it's an incredible sequence at the end of a match that has just been so brilliant, so brutal, so... You just couldn't take your eyes off it. Um, And and we sat and we watched this match afterwards on the on-demand service. I don't know what you thought of it. I just thought it was incredible. And I don't think there's many people out there performing, as I say, performing better than Walter right now. Well, I don't think I could put it any more eloquently than that. So let me just say for people who aren't familiar with Walter, let me paint you the picture. This guy is fucking huge, okay? (laughs) He's tall, but he is built. And his chops 
literally ringing your ears. If you if you see him live, you could be sat in the back row. You could be sat in the back row of the Tokyo Dome, and you're going to hear this guy's chops. And he's in there with a guy, Timothy Thatcher, old school, real sort of excellent technical wrestler and the the styles clash between the two of them is just fantastic and it's one of those matches where i don't like to say this too often but you you know you we often following quite a niche pastime people say oh wrestling's fake wrestling's fake and it's like you know what you're not telling us anything we don't already know it's predetermined the guys go out they know who's gonna win they know how they're gonna win right show them this match show them this match and they will see that what goes on in that ring is is real. We obviously they know the outcome, obviously they know the storyline, but what goes on in that ring, you can't fake the way Timothy Thatcher's chest looked after this match, after taking chops from Walter. It's just it's just brutal. It's just utterly and like you said, yeah, I mean you talk about the, the state of Thatcher's chest, and I feel like while we're in Walter Thatcher Walter Thatcher, while we're in Walter Corner, um we I think we've both got two other Walter matches from this year um, that we've seen on our list and we might as well talk about them because you talk about the state of a man's chest Mark Davis um, poor Mark poor, poor Mark may his poor chest Donzella. may his chest rest in peace um, Mark Davis uh, an, an Australian on the who, on the British indie scene again um, now we're, talk, we're talking about progress again we're talking about chapter 63 in Manchester in February um, Walter again and the state of Mark Davis I saw him about a month later and the state of his chest was just was still was he was still marked up or Waltered up um, as the new phrase is he was killed wasn't he he really was I mean it's quite funny like me and Ryan both separately and together, saw saw Mark Davis a few more times on various different indie shows in the weeks after, and we were almost comparing. It was like a Dulux colour chart of, well, how did Mark's chest look? Like, you know, what colour was it? Was it purple? Was it burgundy? He Walter took him apart, and I just got to say, Dunkzilla must be one of the toughest people walking this earth to take that sort of beating. Because not only did he take that beating in this match. He held his own, and he fired back, and it was it was something else. Like it was just the sort of rumbling of the crowd watching this take place. It it was a fight. It was it was a pure and simple fight. And I'm not talking about organised boxing UFC. It was you got the vibe. It was like when you see two people having a scrap down the pub, but these two people just happen to be two of the best wrestlers on the European indie scene at the moment. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about Walter, but if you've never seen Mark Davis in a tag team called Aussie Open or as a singles competitor, he really is doing amazing things. He's a big dude. He's not Walter big, but he's a big dude, but very athletic, very smooth in what he does. And the one bit of advice that I'll give you that I'm sure Ryan would agree, do not high five oh, this man. Do not, uh, do, do not put your hand out for a high five with Mark Davis if you see him at a show. Lovely bloke, shake his hand. Don't don't put your hand out for a high five. He will break your wrist um, and your hand and your arm, and it might shatter your shoulder at the same time. I've no idea. He's just got so much power, and yet, and yet, he was destroyed by Walter. Absolutely. I mean, the crowd reactions are amazing because I feel like everyone felt for him and just, and just wanted him to do well and wanted him to hit back. And there were times in that match where he did. Um, he gets again. He gets his his offense in. 
But I, th- I think it's a testament to how good Walter is in this role of sort of the the monster, the horse that he plays. In that you could elicit sympathy for someone like Mark Davis, who is usually with, like you say, the smaller wrestlers in the in the British and European indie scene, is usually in that role himself. But he was he had to fight from underneath, which I think is what makes this such a cool match and such a different match for for him in his sort of history is that it's him fighting up from underneath against someone bigger and stronger than he is and paying for it yeah frankly. and it's interesting to say that because i saw mark not that long later at another program show where he faced maverick Mayhew in what was an excellent match as well it has to be said um where he played his more traditional walter role but yeah it's really interesting to see him as you say like work as the guy who is being dominated and he was very good. I mean, he was excellent, it has to be said. Um, shout out to Mark for taking that. Um, but we do have one more Walter match. I'm going to let you take over because I know you love this match. This <laughs> this, this is, was just so unexpected. Um, it took place over WrestleMania weekend. There is a... what is It was on its second iteration this year of what I hope becomes a long tradition of the Joey Janela spring break. Now, for those not familiar... Joey Janela is a uh, heel wrestler on the American Independence. He does a sort of sleazy 80s action movie villain gimmick. It's I'm not doing it justice there. You need to check this guy out. He is an absolute trip. Um, you know, he's, he's got the old 80s sunglasses. He'll, he'll light a cigarette after the match. He's just like, I, I just want to see this guy go up against John McClane in a Die Hard film, really. But for now, he wrestles and he runs shows called um, called Joey Janela's Spring Break every year, WrestleMania weekend. And he specialises in sort of bringing together weird matchups that you're not going to see anywhere else. I mean, I think it's um, it's pers- it's personified. He had um, by the match the Clusterfuck, um, which is a, a essentially a Royal Rumble, um, although pinfalls and submissions also count um, for. For, for getting rid of for eliminating people and it is literally just fucking anyone um it's just a who's who and who's not of the um, independent wrestling scene that happens to be in the place that wrestlemania takes place um, and i think his whole cards could almost be described as a clusterfuck the clusterfuck rumble is amazing but the whole cards are also just a ridiculous like mind-blowing just like I didn't know I wanted to see that match but now it's on a card I have to see that match so the match that he he put together one of the big matches for this that at the time seemed like such a mismatch was um, Walter once again against um, PCO who's um, Pierre Carlulet who has worn many hats in professional wrestling he was um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte in the WWF in the mid-90s who, if you may remember, is the pirate that stole Bret Hart's jacket. And if you don't remember, wrestling was a lot different 20 years ago. Is it there a weird. worse reason in wrestling that someone's had a feud than stealing someone's jacket? It's hard to think of one. I, I The Undertaker had a feud with Karma where karma melted his arm down and made a chain out of it, like a sort of a necklace. Which... I feel that's worse, though than just stealing a dude's jacket like people's jackets get stolen in yeah, the, every week well the urn was meant to have like 
magical powers. Yeah, so I suppose like whereas Brett's jacket, he's probably got like fifty of them. Wasn't there an ad one about someone getting an advert instead of somebody else? Yes. Oh, um, Booker and WrestleMania eighteen Booker and Edge. Edge, yeah. Over the Japanese shampoo commercial. That is the one. Is that that's that's got to be the worst? It's quite bad. It's it's. Let's just say Jean Pierre Lafitte is not remembered fondly. Which is slightly unfair because the, the In Your House match he has with Bret Hart is actually very good, but it's hard to get past the fact that, mate, you're a pirate. <laughs> like it's hard to say, you know, it's not going to go down as, you know, Bret against Austin or Bret against Bulldog, you know, oh. Bret, Bret against the pirate. Put the pirate in with him, damn it. Like, no one wants, want, no one's, it's not as if pirate is an underrepresented demographic of people going, well, there's, you know, you, I don't know you've got Maharajas, where's the, where's the pirate? Like we've only had PCO and Paul Birchall, so. Yeah, but I don't, I, I don't feel there's like. There's only two pirates in the entire time that I've been watching wrestling. Yeah, but is there a demographic of pirate, like, have, have we got the numbers? Can Dave Meltzer tell us how many pirates tune in and out when there's non-pirate characters on. It, I don't, do, do you even have Wi-Fi on a on a on a ship? Like, I mean, I suppose you didn't, but modern pirates might. You don't, don't see Johnny Depp on his iPad, do you? On a that is that's, a, that's a bad boy. Maybe that'll be in the new one. Maybe we'll see. Keep your eyes peeled. But we're getting slightly off track, basically. So yeah. Pierre Pierre Carlulet, he he was the pirate. He was also one half of um, the Quebecers with um, Jacques Rougeau, who you'll know was also the Mountie. Um, they were they were a cool tag team, quite short lived in the mid nineties WWF, but they did some quite innovative moves, um, sort of high flying for for two big guys. But you know that that was all twenty years ago. PCO now, dude is fifty years old. They put him in with Walter. When I saw this match announced, I thought like that that's just not fair. Like that's that's abuse, isn't it? Like you're gonna get the show shut down. It's beating the elderly. It is. It's 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 horrible. Get age concern on the phone. But you need to watch this match because what transpires afterwards is the closest thing I've ever seen to someone going blow for blow with Walter. This is not an underdog story. This is two guys kicking the absolute shit out of each other. And PCO, it's it's already put him on the map. He's getting bookings everywhere now. Including one, uh, a rematch against Walter. A rematch against Walter for um, IWS in Canada, I believe. So I don't know what their situation is with On Demand or anything, but if there's any way to check that match out, you guys need to get on it. Um, hopefully we'll be able to update you on that, but maybe on the next episode. But like these guys absolutely go at it. It's just so dramatic. It's it almost had the air of an, an old sort of all Japan nineties match in the it was just two huge guys throwing bombs at each other, great near falls, everything looked legit, everything looked like it hurt. It was it I I think Walter might have found his equal. I mean, what did you think watching that match? I mean, I just thought it was a great match. It's a very good card, um, Joe Janela's, and yet somehow—I don't say somehow—that's not fair. Um, and yet, but this match, this match does stand out. Um, and like you say, like Walter actually being forced to go toe to toe with someone, someone who—I mean—he's a bit crazy, PCO. Like he's a bit out there. Well, he's, I, guess, he's, I mean, the dude was a pirate, and now he's a sort of a mountain. Yeah, he's, that's fair. So he's going to be out there. He's lived a life. Yeah, um, and I guess you kind of have to be to. To, to dance with Walter. Yeah, to, <laughs> to agree to that. I yeah. mean, 
Um, and again, um, you just have to look at PCO's chest at the end of it to understand the kind of abuse that you have to go through to face Walter, like you say. like The man loves taking chests. He's, he does, yeah. He's never met a pink chest he didn't turn purple. He's, <laughs> That is, that is very much his thing. Um, yeah, and it, and like you say, it's a mark of um, you know of 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 reality. I mean, it's it shows that this thing is legit. I mean, of course, um, we know it's not fully legit, but this is going to hurt because you cannot come out of a of a grueling match with Walter with your chest looking the way that PCOs does, with the way that, you, that Mark Davis's did, the way that Timothy Thatcher's, without knowing that you've been in a fight that you you've you've taken some hits um, and yeah this match is, is is right up there with the brutality of the other two but I guess the difference is that it's brutal from both it's more it's a more even keel of brut- brutality um, it's it's the most I've ever seen someone take it to Walter which is I mean and th- this match is a crown jewel in what is a a very fun card if you do get the chance to see it um, just a quick rundown won't go into too much depth but you've got um, Joey Janela wrestles Japanese legend the great Sasuke on there you've got the clusterfuck match which is just you've never seen a Royal Rumble like it I argue it could be the greatest Royal Rumble get out um, uh, Gage versus Penta that's a, that's a fucking good match yeah I mean American Deathmatch versus Lucha Libre is just again it's just that's that's the sort of the attitude here rather than thinking we'll match up two guys that you know the styles mesh together let's get two opposites and let's throw them in there and just see what happens I feel like the best way to describe it is dream matches you never knew you dreamt of yeah that's exactly Joey Janela is the dream stealer. He's he's been going into our subconscious and pulling out all our wrestling dreams. All our wrestling, maybe not all of them. There's some I don't want him to get his hands on. Okay, well we moving swiftly on. Um, what? Give us another match that's on your list, Joey. I think one of the 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 things that it kind of gets slept on is just the absolute consistency of NXT takeovers. Like we've almost. <coughs> Excuse me. We. I think we, we've become blase. Have we become blase about? I that? think we've become blase. I think we take for granted that just because every single one is so good and gives us so much to shout about, that now we just sort of we, we take it for granted. It's like NXT takeover. Everyone was like, yeah, oh, it was great, but it's always great. And I think maybe we just need to drill down into a couple of the highlights of recent NXT takeovers. And I'll start. Rather than going chronologically, I'll just start with what I think is the best match, not not just for, for NXT, but under the WWE banner this year. The ladder match for the NXT North American Championship. And just almost almost similar to the Janela thing, in you'd never think this list of guys would mesh together so well, but this match was incredible. I mean, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I mean, I think, I think, like you say, you wouldn't necessarily have put them all together, but I do. I think, I mean, I like every single guy that's on there. Oh, me too. Most definitely. Like, I mean, that is, I mean, so so we had, um, I'm, I'm going to definitely forget people. So we had Lars Sullivan, um, yeah. who was just a big guy and just brilliant. Lars Sullivan is the best. <laughs> Lars Sullivan is absolutely incredible. He's everything a pro wrestler should be. And more. Don't at me that he, he looks like he could kill you with his bare hands. And now he has a Dave Meltzer five-star match under his belt. There's no stopping him. So he is better than Daniel Bryan. Um, Killian Dane. um, Big. Another big dude. Bloody brilliant. Agile as fuck for a guy that size. Uh, We have Velveteen Dream. 
who in the last I don't know six months, maybe slightly longer, however long it is, has just come into his own and just been utterly brilliant. There isn't a single thing he does that isn't brilliant. The thing with Velveteen Dream that I love is you can sum up his gimmick so simply and it just sounds amazing even on paper. His gimmick is basically, what if Prince was also Rick Rude? <laughs> and that's and that's Velveteen Dream, and that's that sums up the brilliance of the work that he's doing at the moment. I mean, what is he? Twenty two, twenty two years old, twenty three. Something painful. Like painfully ugly like that. If if they book him right, he is going to be an absolute megastar. Uh, then we had um, Ricochet, new on NXT, but bloody brilliant, and has been bossing um, the indie scene. Has been bossing New Japan. Uh, just the king of all flippy shit. Um, and then we had EC3, newly over from Impact. Um, also, you know, just, yeah, just newly over from Impact, brilliant what he does. Um, and, and over and as well. And you said new, newly yeah. over, but over, over as well. Over as hell, yeah. Because, I mean, he's sort of... You kind of worried, didn't you, that when he came back, came over from, back from over uh, from NXT, that you from, not from NXT, from, from Impact to NXT, that he was maybe going to lose the EC3 name, because we know what that's entrenched in. That's the thing. Literally, literally he has essentially got Carter in his name. Like, you know, his, his gimmick was he was Dixie Carter's nephew. But he's a, he's a name that's sort of associated with the darker days of Impact Wrestling. Like, guys have made the transition, like Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Bobby Roode, that are sort of associated with Impact when it was a lot more popular. EC3's kind of work was carrying that brand when it was in its sort of darker days when it was drawing smaller crowds but that crowd were really into him the ec3 chants were very very loud and of course last but by no means least adam cole baby you've got to i mean you've actually got to say it like um, you can't not um so this yeah this was a, a master class um it's probably the best it's probably the best tlc match that i've seen since tlc2 it was a ladder match Sorry, it's, I'm the, so sorry. it's the best ladder match I've seen since the ladder match at WrestleMania, the triple threat ladder match at WrestleMania. Um, it, I, I think the best way you can sum this up is somehow in a six-way ladder match, they managed to give every guy something memorable to do. I think we're so used to seeing like the money in the bank matches where they're great fun, got some cool stunts in them, but there'll always be a couple of guys that just sort of like roll out the ring, you never really see them again and it's all forgotten. But this match did such a good job of keeping all six guys busy, highlighting the stuff that they're good at and just constantly giving the crowd something to get their teeth into. There was no sort of dead air in this. It was all, oh, yeah. all excitement. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the stuff that was done, like um, Dane putting guys through ladders. He is a beast. Just utter unbelievable. Dane and Lars going at it as well. That was fantastic. Ricochet jumping out of nowhere onto the ladder. Just, I mean, I'm, I've not even written any, I've literally not written any notes for that. It's not on my list, it's on your list. And I can, and just, just off the top of my head, just some of those moments were crazy. I th I th what I like as well is I, th I think they went for the, the right finish because after all the spectacular things we did, like what we saw, just having Adam Cole kind of sneak in this little chicken shit heel and, and grab the belt down, it's so good for his character. It's similar to what they did with him at War Games as well. I like the fact that they're trying to build a heel you can't cheer. And I mean, sadly, the crowds are still cheering. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, they're doing their best. Yeah, no, I mean, nothing against the crowds because crowds, 
you know, they react how they want to react, and so I'm not, I'm not criticising them in any way. It is a shame because he is a heel, and therefore you you expect him and you want him to be booed, and, and he's not because he's just really brilliant. So it's it's kind of difficult to, to boo him for that sense. But, but I, I but you, I'm you not, don't want to disrespect the crowds in any way. I am going to disrespect <laughs> the crowds because it's yours. stupid, right? If you go to a wrestling show. And your favourite wrestler is a heel, right? Say, say you go to NXT, Adam Cole is your favourite wrestler in the world. You've got the Bebe t-shirt, you've got a figure of him on your desk at work, he like whatever. He's host a good night every night. Yeah, like if you are the biggest Adam Cole dude ever, or dudette, we're equal opportunity here. He might be Adam Cole's mum. Yeah. Yeah. Like you go, you, right. Adam Cole wants you to boo him. Of course. The way to tell Adam Cole he is doing a good job is to boo him. Okay? It's that is pro wrestling. That's what it is. Pro wrestling is pantomime. Cheer the faces, boo the heels. I guess um, my way of I always uh, the opportunity before. It's like it's like watching a th- it's like watching theatre and going along and you know cheering the guy who's who's murdering everyone. I can't think of a, a, a specific, it's like cheering Macbeth basically yeah um, Macbeth might be the best actor on the stage he might be the main character but he's not there to be cheered he's a bad bad dude and you wouldn't you would say to your friend afterwards the guy that played Macbeth was excellent but you don't say to your friend afterwards Macbeth was really is a really decent guy, isn't he? But maybe you do. I think the like, the modern audience would every time Macbeth killed someone or did something devious, they'd be there going, "This is theatre," and it, and that's it, what annoys me so much. Or would it be this is Shakespeare? Ah, even better. Yeah. Even more, even more poetic. But I just it gets me because I know hijacking has been this like hijacking shows has been this super cool thing that people do since Punk and Daniel Bryan and it's like I get it you like the wrestler but the way of telling a heel wrestler they're doing a good job is to boo them like The Miz I, I love The Miz I love everything he does in even, terms of even though he doesn't do moonsaults even though he doesn't do moonsaults he doesn't know as many moves as Apollo Crews he doesn't need to this guy is is spot on in everything he does I think he's an absolute pro I think he should be the world champion if I go to a live show, I'm going to boo that guy out of the building because that's his job. That's what he's there for. Nobody wants Joker to kill Batman. The whole point is Miz is the bad guy. And it's the same with Adam Cole. And I think it's a shame because I think the good work that he does, and I think he is an awesome heel. Oh, he's and he's one of the best. He's so unlikable and you do want to see him get slapped he's about. He's slimy, isn't he? You just want, he is. You just want, yeah, you're right. You want him to get his comeuppance. And that's a really good point. Um, back to the match, you got anything more to say about the match? I, my main thing with it is, my main takeaway is, Ricochet can do absolutely anything he wants to in pro wrestling. I really hope they don't go down the 205 Live route with him. Oh God, no. Because you can see the way the crowd reacted to him. He's, he's got a good look. It's like he's, he's small, but he he's not skinny. He's, you know, he's got some muscle definition. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. marketable. He's charismatic. I think get once he he is ready to leave NXT, get him on the main roster. I want to see Killian Dane in every type of gimmick match ever because he's great at ladder matches. He was amazing in war games. Oh, he was MVP at war games. I think he just yeah. just throw him in every bring every gimmick back. Of course, he's going up to SmackDown. 
So we'll, we'll, we'll see what he can do on the main roster. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what him and Sanity do when they get up there. Um, I would like to talk about now um, a match that probably isn't on most people's lists for one of the matches of the year. And it probably isn't really on my list as match, one of the matches of the year, but I just want to talk about it really quickly. And it's the match that followed the ladder match. And I think you're right about everything you say about the ladder match. And I think if you look at other times where such incredible matches have taken place, I think historically matches that go on after matches that are that good struggle. Um, we were talking about briefly before, and we were talking about that Walter versus Mark Davis match, and there's another match on that card that we'll come to that, um, st- that was on before that match. And both those matches were absolutely incredible. So much so that by the time it got to the main event of the night, uh, it was a triple threat match for the Progress title. Most people had... It wasn't a bad match, and the crowd weren't dead to it, but they weren't as alive to it as they might have been. And so I think matches that go on after these incredible matches often suffer. And so the match after the ladder match at TakeOver New Orleans was um, Ember Moon versus Shayna Baszler for the women's NXT title. And I just think that those two women could have gone out there and they could have put on an absolutely average match and no one would have criticised them and no one would have thought any less of them and they'd, it would have been fine. But I think that those two women went out there and instead of that, they absolutely smashed it. Um, they told an incredible story. Um, there was this mixture of styles again of um, obviously Shayna Baszler with this UFC MMA um, shoot style and Ember Moon who's very much you know a pro wrestler and a very good one at that I think um, and they just told this incredible story and Ember Moon tells the brilliant stories and the reactions to everything and her facial expressions and, and her selling and everything is just spot on um, and I mean Baszler likes smacking her shoulder into the ring post and oh that's fantastic the, the, the you know just being determined to get to get Moon to tap and eventually essentially choking her out and stopping it. I just thought it was an incredible match and I thought they did an amazing job in the position they were in. I I really enjoyed the match. Like you say, I love the the psychology of basically getting hit by her own move with the like the shoulder separation and trying to hit it back in. I the one thing, and it's uh, this might be a weird complaint that, that drew me back a little bit on this match is obviously everyone knows about Shayna and her friendship with Ronda Rousey and I believe she was one of the four horse women of MMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ronda Rousey is your biggest baby face yes, in yeah, the entire yeah. company. Uh, like she was the focus of WrestleMania. Yeah. Biggest baby face in the company going up against Stephanie and Triple H, the the big nasty heel corporation. And Shayna Baszler is a heel and a quite a nasty one and she's you know meant to be quite vicious and Mm-hmm. like hateful of her opponents and will do anything to win like all the best heels um, and at, at NXT TakeOver she jumps out of the ring after winning goes straight over and hugs Ronda yeah who was there cheering her on the whole time I, in yeah. fact I, I even tweeted saying Ronda Rousey is a rubbish wrestling fan um, now I don't mean that of course because Ronda's a, a massive wrestling fan and no one should criticise her um, but you're right like that did I guess that did take it away, take away a little bit from the match, um, and they could have done that backstage, and they didn't need Ronda. They could front and centre cheering on another friend, and 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 you're right, you, uh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm not even saying to Ronda don't go, 
Like, she could go, they could have even shown her in the crowd before it like they did, but a lot of the focus was on Ronda, and I feel like the hug could have taken place backstage, because mainly because of what a good job they did with the other stuff, is they built Shayna as this killing machine. Yeah. And they did it really well. Like, I really like her. I'm I'm convinced by what she does. Everything looks legit to me. Everything looks solid. You believe she could dominate a women's division the way she does. So I feel like it's detrimental to sort of soften her a little bit with the Rousey friendship. I think if, if you know, if Rousey goes heel at any point, then I think there's something interesting yeah, and if I, you do that. I mean, I feel like at some point Rousey will go heel. Um, it'll be interesting to see what reaction she gets if they do that. Um, or they might just go the Roman Reigns route and keep a face for the entire time. Um, but this we're not, is Shakespeare. We're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> I, I, you, know, you are right, and I did take away from the match. I just wanted to give those two women major props, because like I say, I don't think there's... There aren't many matches that could have gone on after that ladder match and been so, so brilliant. Um, and I just think they did a, a fantastic job. They got the crowd back, didn't they? I think that was the key thing. Yeah. Is that so often you could, you could go out and have a, a Dave Meltzer five-star special... And just the crowd would be dead for it, but the, but by the end of the match, the crowd was buying everything they did. Yeah, and you needed that for what matches were to come because I believe that there is a world an NXT title match on your list as well that you'd like to talk about. There is. There's a, a very good little match that well, took I, place. I mean, I guess there's is there, is there there's probably two NXT title matches, one from Lola and one from previous, um, or is the first one not on your ta- on your? The first one is. Um, Do you want to talk about both of them? Kind of at the same time because let let some yeah let some umbrella it and uh, we're under the umbrella that is the genius of Andrade Cien Almas, a man who has flown under the radar a little bit for so long and now is is the radar. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. But like before before he won the title, where I think everyone was shocked that he beat Drew. Yeah to win the NXT title originally, which in itself was a very, very good match. Oh, excellent match. Um, but his his hit rate in title matches in terms of just delivering great stuff in ring. I mean, the matches we're talking about are his match with Johnny Wrestling himself, Johnny Gargano, and then the one... At, that was um, at NXT Philadelphia. That was at NXT Philadelphia. I really feel like they should give the takeovers cooler names. Yes. Because I always forget which one's which when they're just named after cities. Yeah, that's fair. Because at the start, they were called stuff like NXT TakeOver The End, yeah, NXT and TakeOver Revolution. And like that means I've got to fucking remember where everything took place, and that's never going to happen. That's the thing, which is why I'm glad you, you told me where Armas Gargano took place, because it's one of my favourite matches of the year, and I, I would not have remembered which no, one. So he, I watched it this morning. That's the only reason I know. That's the that's the reason <laughs> on the WWE Network nine ninety nine. I just want it for free. If that's why you know maybe if that's you, how you, can get you it. want to jump in and sponsor us yeah. at Rowdy Poddy. Um, and the other match of his that stands out for me is the one where he actually lost the title against Alistair Black. And both matches um, had some similar traits and then stuff that they did differently. The similar traits and a massive part of of, um, Andrade's act is Zelina Vega, his business manager. Um, She accompanies him to the ring, but rather than just sitting there slapping the mat and, and, you know, shouting instructions, 
This girl, she'll throw hurricane ranas at people. She's doing cross body blocks off the apron. She gets as physically involved as any manager I think I've ever seen. As a manager um, slash, I don't want to call her a valor because she's not, but you kind of know a person that's joined somebody else at the ring. So we'll, you know, we'll umbrella. She's a manager. Isn't she? They, is, they, they a, call her his business. She is a manager, but I, I want to umbrella it. Um, Advocate. For, for other people as well, including an advocate. Has anyone ever had, any other one, ever had as big an impact as Zelina has on Almas's career? He was, like you say, he was flying under the radar, essentially, until she joined him. And they have done, he has been incredible since then. He was just, he was almost a step, I mean, if you look a year previous to WrestleMania, he fought Alistair Black on the takeover in wherever WrestleMania was, like Orlando. So takeover Orlando last year, um, he fought Alistair Black. It was Black's first, and it, it was Black's first takeover. He was a stepping stone. He was a gateway to the rest of the NXT division. You fast forward a year, no one's had in NXT a good a year as him, and it's because of her. Has, has there ever been a, a partnership as, as good as that? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you look at some of the great indelible manager um, manager-client partnerships and you know you've got Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth now she didn't really do anything other than being a sort of an angelic presence that the crowd sort of rallied behind while simultaneously disliking Savage it was almost like a contrast thing mm-hmm. she would very rarely get physically involved you've got you know Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan again Bobby was there sort of as a, as a motor mouth figure took the odd bump same during his time with Andre he probably took a few more but in terms of actually weaving a manager into the story of the, the match physically I don't think there's there's really been a better example of that of what they've done with Zelina Vega alongside Almas in that her spots are picked so carefully like she'll cut off a, a babyface comeback from Gargano and the crowd will just boo her out of the building for for interrupting someone they love who's on the verge of winning the title. I think it they've done it so well. And I think these two matches, the one with Gargano and the one with Black, are just such great examples of not only how much Almas has come on, um, not only how much Vega has added to the act, but just what a great story the pair of them are and that sort of the scope that it opens up for a different type of main event match where they, they you know, this, this sort of thing where they turn them into almost these handicap matches. That just It's done so well. Yeah, I mean, God, the, the match against Gargano was described by um, some as the best match NXT had ever put on. I mean, it was bloody brilliant. Um, the te- there's, there's, there's pieces of absolute technical masterclass in there. Um, I mean, Gargano, every time he gets in the ring, is just... I mean, there's a reason he's called Johnny Wrestling, because he's just so good. Um, but Almas absolutely brings it, and their title has almost... It's almost been one of those things where the title means so much to him that he tries anything and he won't get put... He won't go down, he won't stay down. Um, and of course, you know, like you say, like Zelina just um, putting herself into the match um, and interrupting, and like you say, at these moments that are so crucial to the match... Um, but you, so Garg- the Gargano match got five stars by Dave Meltzer. Um, it was, as I say, described as one of the best matches NXT have ever put on. But you prefer the black match, right? I do, yeah. Um, 
it, it was a close run thing, don't get me wrong. Um, the, I think the the thing I prefer about the, the black match is just some of the, the sequences that the two put together, so smooth, the way that they work together. And I feel like in that match, they sort of, they took wrestling up another level with the stuff they were able to do. And it's not going out there and doing 600 flips off the top rope. It's, you know, that, that's not what pro wrestling's about. It's not oh, I can no-sell more head drops than you or anything like that. They just, they go out and they just, they put on a wrestling clinic. It was so smooth the way that they worked, the striking into it, because obviously that's a massive strength of Alistair Black. The the times that it looked like Black had, had had the title won and Vega sort of ripped it away. And then almost the, the classic villain's downfall, it almost could have been a, a Disney movie, the way it was done, where... Basically, Almas reached a point in the match where he couldn't rely on Vega anymore, and that's when um, Alistair Black took him out and won the title. And I think it's been a journey for Alistair Black as well in how much he has developed in NXT from sort of this silent assassin through the Velveteen Dream feud, which was incredible and sort of opened him up a little bit more as a character, all the way through to this. I think it was a culmination of of so many things about both wrestlers. And obviously we've seen coming off the back of it, I believe Almas has gone to SmackDown now. Yeah, again, he'll be um, arriving on SmackDown probably by the time this comes out. So yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what the... And he's taken, um, he's taken his manager, his business manager with him as well. So that would be really interesting. It will, and I really hope they stay true to the things that have worked so well about that partnership in NXT because they've, they've been the hottest act on that show. Oh yeah, I mean, since since before he won the title, basically in his in the lead up to him facing Drew, um, they were just they were brilliant from there on in, and he's just been he's been so much more focused both as a character and just generally has seemed like that as a wrestler. It's like there was something missing from him. Um, he was I don't I don't think anyone ever thought he was bad, but he was probably underrated because he we weren't seeing enough of him. Um, and ever since that partnership, it's just been like, that That was what was missing. We didn't know it, but that, that was what was missing. Um, yeah, and I just think, I mean, I'm with, I don't necessarily agree that the black match was, was, was better. I'm not disagreeing. Um, I thought both matches were brilliant. Um, but um, yeah, I do, I, I just thought Almas was, was bloody brilliant. Um, and another man who was bloody brilliant in that match against, um, well, in a match against Almas and was also bloody brilliant in another match at um, TakeOver, NOLA, was um, Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa, um, which was another excellent match. It was. Um, however, I've got a few things that annoyed me about this match that I just want to get off my chest. Um, there was one thing that was really brilliant, brilliant actually, um, that I, I think a lot of people may have missed or may have forgotten about, especially if you were in England and watching it at four o'clock in the morning and just trying not to fall asleep. Um, was um, Gargano shouting at Champa, "This is my moment!" in the middle of one of their exchanges, which is something that, which is what um, Champa obviously said to him when he attacked him. I, you know what, I missed um, that little piece of that piece of long-term storytelling. Yeah, there's a lovely. I remember Johnny saying it, but I don't remember Champa saying it. Right. Yeah. So obviously, when they lost the tag titles to um, AOP. Um, at a takeover, which I'm not going to be able it to. It took place. Before. I think that was Takeover Wolfsall, wasn't it? Was that, <laughs> was that, was that NXT Takeover Wigan? I don't remember which one. It was Takeover last, sometime last year. Um, 
Take over Blackpool. As it was when, whenever it was last year, when obviously Champa ended up. Also, by the way, has there ever been? I keep asking these random questions, but they keep coming to me. Has there ever been a better injury for a wrestler than Tommaso Champa's? Because as good as this feud has been, this feud has been so good because of his injury. If if Champa hadn't got injured, this feud would have been over six months ago, probably. Um, they probably wouldn't have been able to take it as far as now. And if they had, they would have had to build it in a totally different way. And it was just perfect. I, I love it because it allowed them to very organically cast Ciampa as like the shadow behind yeah. Gargano, where we're not overexposing him, we're not seeing him all the time. But even in, during Gargano's greatest successes, there was always this lingering well, thing yeah. behind him. He, he went on this run of not being able to win. Um, because he was thinking about Gaga, uh, because he was thinking about Champa. But the brilliant thing was, we didn't have to see Champa for that to be a thing. They never, they didn't play his music. There was the moment where um, Zelina threw the DIY shirt at him. That was brilliant. yeah, that was that was excellent. But we generally, more great work from Zelina Vega. Yeah, we but we generally didn't see we didn't see Champa, and that injury. You don't want a wrestler to get injured, of course you don't. But the injury that Champa received when they lost the tag titles it was perfectly timed. Um, so getting back to what I was originally saying, so when they uh, when they're on the top of the ramp at the end of that match against AOP and they've just lost the titles, um, and Champa says, I think they he says this is an our time. This is my. This is this is an our moment. This is my moment, and throws him into the Titan Tron, and that's ah. the begin. That's the the ending of their their, their like. I remember friendship. the throw, but I, yeah, I didn't remember the the verbiage. And it's very a, cool that they brought that back. Yeah, and there's a wonderful moment. There's an exchange between them, and Gargano says, "This is my moment." Um, so I liked that, um, and I did like the match. It was excellent, but this. Three, I've got three reasons written down here. I'm looking forward to this. I don't even know what I've got three reasons written down here why it's not one of my matches of the year, as good as it was. Um, the first one is that it's an unsanctioned match. And I fucking hate this idea of unsanctioned matches. I also hate the idea that this is an unsanctioned match where someone could get their contract back. Because why would WWE say, we don't want this match to be sanctioned, but if you win it, you get your title match? You, you get your contract back. It doesn't make any sense. Those two statements are completely contradictory. The other thing that obviously makes no sense when it's an unsanctioned match is that it's an unsanctioned match, but we'll give you a WWE referee in a WWE ring on one of our biggest shows of the of the year. Um, you can have your music and your entrance and, and your the commentary team. and your commentary team and your wife can be there. And it's fucking mental. Like, none of that to me suggests an unsanctioned match. You also win by pinfall or submission. Again, utter nonsense. Like, the only way you could do it is having an unsanctioned match. Because that doesn't work in a fight. Like, if you had a brawl with someone outside in the street, I'm not saying you specifically would, Joe, but if you went one-on-one with someone in the street, that match isn't over until someone's knocked out or someone runs away. That match can't be over because someone pins someone for three seconds arguably can't even be over if someone taps out because there's nothing stopping that person after they've tapped and you've got off them of them getting back up and beating the living shit out of you. It can only be an unsanctioned match if the only way to finish it is by literally knocking the person out. Um, so an unsanctioned match makes no sense. An unsanctioned match with someone's contract on the line makes even less fucking sense. So that annoys me about that match and I know it makes it a wonderful match 
Uh, and I know it's a great match, but that just takes it away from me a little bit. It's actually a fourth reasons. I just remembered another one um, and forgot it again. Yeah, the, another reason is um, there's a fan on right on the sideline with crutches, um, which just annoyed me. This was great. I know you've got to like suspend reality for a moment, but you know the whole thing with Champa being injured and having the crutch and beating the shit out of Gargano with the with with his crutches. Um, and then he's looking for a weapon under the ring and he shouts at the referee someone's moved it and obviously he's looking for a crutch and there just happens to be a guy in the corner bit next to the that's the disabled section it's not the disabled section though it's just it's the bit where the person who you don't want to turn up turns up just by the guardrail and he happens to have crutches and he happens to be wearing a Gargano shirt and Champa just takes his crutches off it. And I like to think though that what happened here, because he did look under the ring like you say and go, someone's moved it, is he stole them from the guy earlier in the day. Right. He's then come back, like finally I have recovered my crutches. So then he gets the double bummer of, oh no, he took them again. Oh, this keeps a, happening. Why am I such an idiot? Why did I put myself next to him with the crutches? I should have just run or hobbled away. Um, the, cr- the crutch comes out again um, is an, another annoyance of mine because there's a moment where the crutch is in the middle of the in the middle of the ring and they're at each ring post and they both go and grab it and it's actually a wonderful it's a lovely metaphor and it's a lovely piece of um, imagery and then one of the commentators tells us how great a metaphor and how wonderful a piece of imagery is and I just thought oh fuck off I don't need to be t- like. I understand being told some things, but some stuff you can just leave, like let me enjoy that moment. Um, One thing I will say though with that crutch moment is I remember thinking it was weird at the time, is that I know obviously they're putting it over on commentary and like we got what they were doing because of the feud, the crowd was dead for that bit. Yeah. The the crowd didn't, like the struggle over the crutch in Mm. the middle, crowd was pretty much silent. Yeah, I mean I guess that's fair, I'll accept that. Um, the, The last thing I'd say about this match as well is unlike Gargano Almas, unlike Gargano Black, unlike a lot of matches, um, and even matches sometimes where careers have been on the line, I never for one second felt that Johnny Gargano was going to lose this match. There's not, I mean, it's not just that there's, it's not just about near falls, it's just that I was never convinced that he was going to lose this match. You take it back to um, Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz feud last year, for the US Intercontinental title and when when Dolph's career was on the line and I genuinely believed that Dolph might lose and leave WWE for a year and then either go to the Indies or go and do his own thing for a year and then come back but in this match there was nothing no near falls no, no just nothing that made me believe that Johnny Gargano would not win this match they didn't even really try that many near falls, did they? Yeah, like, there was. It was structured very yeah. differently from pretty much any match I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I quite like that there weren't loads of near falls. That's not necessarily my criticism. Actually, watching the watching the match, I was like, oh, that's different. I quite like that. It did. It felt um, it felt different to any match I've ever seen. Yeah. That I found it quite interesting. In that, I don't I mean I don't know who's laid the match out or mm. whether they they sort of let the guys tell their story for that, but it it felt like nothing else in wrestling because it's it would have been easy for them to have like a sort of a hardcore match yes. a street fight just belt each other with yeah. kendo sticks the whole time but which I guess in that sense um, kind of portrayed the unsanctioned part of the match and one of my earlier criticisms so I guess I can't have both criticisms and actually don't criticise that but 
within that not having many faults um, and also outside not having many faults is that I just didn't buy into the fact that Tommaso Ciampa might win this match yeah I think we all knew Joey Gargano was getting his happy ending yeah I, I think and it was don't get me wrong it was the right way to end the story of course but... no like, obviously but um, yeah I just, it was just one of those things um, going on from that because we're on the subject now and we're going to try and be positive most of the time both on this podcast and going forward um, is there any other matches that you thought um, failed to live up to what we were hoping for and I also I'd like to point out that I've really enjoyed uh, Champa versus um, Gargano it just wouldn't be on my list of um, match of the year because of all those reasons that I just laid out but I'm just interested Joey I think you have a match that you didn't enjoy. I, I I do, and it's one that actually surprised me. This one is from WrestleMania. It's the dream match. Um, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the WWE title. I think we all went into this one with sky-high expectations. I mean, whether it's those of us that watch them in Japan and know that they are capable of having amazing matches with each other, people that maybe heard through reputation the quality of those matches they'd had in the past but I felt like the Wrestlemania match was really really flat it was it wasn't bad by any means I'm not trashing it I'm not saying it was a stinker they they went out there and they had a decent little match but it was a decent little match from two guys that are capable of so much more um, the weird thing with this, and Ryan, I know that you felt very similar watching it, was it felt like there was a section missing. They sort of, at the start, there was about five minutes of like the feeling out process, and then they looked knackered. Yeah. And, and they were reacting and selling as if they'd been in the ring for half an hour. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I said this to you earlier. I, you know, I often have um, a tendency to drift off when watching live pay per views because they are at silly o'clock in the morning. And this, Matt, I didn't fall asleep during WrestleMania as it happens because I was also working at the same time, um, so couldn't. Um, and I f- genuinely wondered to myself, did I fall asleep for 10 minutes and miss the bit where there was loads of high-intensity flippy stuff and beating the living daylights out of each other and whatnot, and that's why they were knackered at the end? Or, or did they just forget? Like, I don't know what happened. It's, it's a weird one. I mean, part of it, I think, is is symptomatic of the the current template of a WrestleMania, which is this show is going to be 27 hours long. <laughs> you you know, it's, it's a slog to get through. Even for those of us who are so obsessed with wrestling, we sit and make podcasts about it. It can be hard to, to get through a WrestleMania without drifting off for something. But it just, it seemed half-hearted. It, it felt like a sort of a TV main event and I think maybe what they were trying to go for is giving us a little taste, because obviously with the Nakamura turn after the match, which I thought was done very well, they got me back with that, definitely. Um, maybe it's they wanted to give us a little taste because they're going to do something more in the feud and the, the classic matches are coming down the line. Um, but I just I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't the, the WrestleMania dream match that it was sold as, which was a shame because... We know both guys are, are capable of it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It was um, wasn't a bad match. I don't think anyone. I don't think you're saying that, and I don't think I would be saying that. But it just it felt underwhelming. I guess is, is is what you'd say when you looked at it. And I guess a lot of people going into WrestleMania 
there was a lot of people saying, oh God, I, don't, I hope we don't get Brock versus Roman as the main event. I'm not saying we were those people, but there was a lot of people. I hope we don't. Get I was Brock. one of those people. Yeah, I hope we don't get Brock versus Roman as the main event. I hope we get AJ versus Nakamura. And it just—I mean, imagine if that had been the main event and they'd done what they did. You know, people would have been going away saying that was one of the, you know, a really bad main event. Yeah, which luckily they did. Anyway. anyway, with Brock versus Roman, but that's besides the point. But you know what I mean, like for like you say, for for a match that was that was such um, a dream match, um, it did underperform. And but let's 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 forget those. Let's forget the the bad stuff and let's get back to some really to, to some good stuff. And I want to um, throw out a match um, going back to progress um, from Progress Chapter sixty four at the end of I want to say February, but it might have been. Anyway, but yes, um, and uh, it's a different, ma- completely different match to everything else that's been mentioned, um, and this is why I want to mention it. Um, a bit of a comedy tag team match uh, between David Starr and Jack Sexsmith, or Sexy Starr, um, versus the Anti Fun Police. Um, in just is what is one, and uh, they'll hate me for saying this, but it was a really fun match. Um, the Anti Fun Police are one of the best gimmicks going on the British indie scene um, which is uh, Damien Dunn Damien Dunn and Los Los Federales Junior Junior yeah Um, thank you because I was going to pronounce it wrong probably Um, and they're just brilliant Um, they are an act of two guys who are the anti-fun police who want to stop everyone having fun and yet somehow their matches are probably some of the most fun that you'll see and there's just some great stuff. David Starr and Jack Sexsmith, Sexy Starr, um, obviously a play on the um, American female wrestler, Sexy Starr, who she's probably she's Mexican. Mexican, sorry, no, I just, just, just yeah. hairs. No, she probably you're you're right. Um, that's terrible. She is Mexican. Um, she's also a horrible person. And is a horrible person. Um, sorry if you listen to this. Do tweet the show. We'd love to have you on. Yep, I think I accidentally paused again, but that's not a problem. Um, sorry, we could probably take out our trash and sexy stuff for no reason. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, and the match is just brilliant. Um, Jack Sexsmith and Star are brilliant together. Um, they're brilliant apart as well. They both do funny very well. Um, Jack Sexsmith built himself um, on being a bit of a joke character and has slowly become more and more serious and has won crowds over. Um, he is the pansexual phenomenon and he's, you know, there representing something that doesn't get represented at wrestling a lot um, and he's doing it in a phenomenal way. And like I say, originally he was there for a lot of fun but now it's impossible not to take him seriously because he's very good at what he does again. Um, he's he's very one of the best underdogs in wrestling for me. Like that's that's not in indie wrestling, in British wrestling, in pro wrestling in terms of that sort of traditional fighting from underneath underdog baby face where you know they're up against impossible odds but you're still willing them to succeed I, I think he, he is one of the very best in the world at that now yeah and I, I've so you know as I say I've seen him go through some incredible matches um, in the last just over 18 months and really put himself on the map and you know he has a progress title shot coming up um, and yeah that, that just it's just it's something very different um, I think some sometimes people forget that wrestling is just supposed to be a load of fun and sometimes people underestimate how good comedy wrestling can be um, and I just think that that match between those two teams um, who are very good at, they're, they're very good at comedy wrestling and they're very good wrestlers 
Um, so it's just an, an all-round, it's a brilliant match and I would certainly recommend catching up on that one. Um, what have you got next to talk about then, Drew? I mean, if we're going, we're going back into sort of the live arena and stuff we've actually yes. uh, seen in person, one that I wanted to bring up, we were there together, was it was a six-person tag from Fight Club Pro Wrestling's Dream Tag Team Invitational. It, it was a non-tournament match. They do this massive tag tournament every year where they bring over some huge names. It's become, um, in the indie scene, it's like the go-to like Easter weekend grabs. Like, that's what you've got to go to. The closest thing I could probably liken it to is imagine Battle of Los Angeles with tag teams. For those that are familiar with PWG, is it's, it's a who's who of, of who's relevant at that point in time, all t- together in one place for three shows. We were at the Manchester leg of the show. Which was night two. Night two. Tetsuya night two. And we saw um, Travis Banks team with Aussie Open. We, we touched on Mark Davis earlier. Um, that's his tag team with Kyle Fletcher. Against the team of uh, Miko Satomura, legendary Japanese um, Joshi wrestler. She founded the Sendai Girls promotion in Japan. Also a uh, former WCW wrestler as well in their women's division in the 90s and she teamed up with Scarlett and Graves which is um, the comprised of Zachary Wentz and Desmond Xavier known in some circles as the Rascals who were an amazing up-and-coming sort of team of high flyers and I mean this match was just crazy. I mean it's worth mentioning first of all um, on night one uh, Satamora actually won the uh, Fight Club Pro uh, title. She beat Chris Brooks um, and so she came into this match as their champion and she still is their champion at time of recording. Um, and hopefully for a long time to come <laughs> because this this woman is incredible. How over um, in the Manchester Academy was uh, Maita Satomura? The, this might sound like an exaggeration but please before you, you tweet us and tell us how wrong we sound you have to to, to actually look up the pop that she got. We're talking, this was a Road Warriors pop. This was a Hogan in the 80s <laughs> reaction. Scaled up, obviously. I mean, there was probably a like, like couple of thousand, three thousand in there. I don't think it was that many. Like, I could be wrong, but I don't think it was as Yeah, many, it so. might have even been less. So you've got to do it like economy of scale. But that is the loudest reaction I have possibly ever heard on an indie show for anyone. Like... I knew she was, you know, a legendary figure. I had no idea she was that respected and loved. But after the match, it was it was easy to see why. I mean, she is an absolute lethal weapon, isn't she? She is just something else. Oh yeah, and it was absolutely incredible. And like, I mean, we talked about Mark Davis earlier, and she suplexed him off the top rope. Yeah, and I mean, she is, I would say, an average-sized lady. You saw her, If you saw her in the street, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't think, oh, you know, she, she's a pro wrestler necessarily. We're not talking someone built like, you know... Walter. Uh, yeah. We're not, <laughs> I was going to compare a female, but she's not, you know... We're not talking about someone built like... Um, she's uh, not Nia Jax. She's not Nia Jax, exactly. Exactly what I was going to say. Um, she is just, there, like you say, an average-sized woman. And she, she's there suplexing 250 pounders off the top rope. She's, 
I mean, she suplexed pretty much everything inside, apart from the referee, <laughs> at one point or another. Um, and she hits hard as well. I mean, she was really laying in those shots. And she just matched up so well. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was great to see her mixing it up with Travis Banks, who is a New Zealander who we've adopted in this country as one of our own. He's a big part of the indie scene over here, current Progress World Champion. Those two were a, were a great matchup. I'd love to see more of them interact. And it, it just, it tore the house down. There was no let up in this match, was there? There was no slow build, really. It was just all action, non-stop, which is what, what the best sort of six-person tags are, really. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I thought the, um, the two guys that uh, Satamora was tagging with, the, uh, the Rascals, I thought they were, they were absolutely excellent as well. Probably like almost like the underrated pair of that match because I think like the other guys were all so over um, already with that crowd because they've seen Fight Club Pro crowd has seen them so many times before and Satamora was so over because she's Satamora um, and I think those two also like just put in an incredible shift I, thought, I think everyone that was in that match and everybody got something in like everybody had their moment didn't they? yeah that's the thing everyone was allowed to shine and I mean the, the thing I will say for, um, for Xavier and Wentz is seeing them on tape or seeing them on a, on a stream or DVD it doesn't do them justice to how smooth everything they they do is I'm, yeah I think pair. yeah I just think I, I, I think we could really see them emerge as a as a star team I mean like they would not look out of place in NXT no no not at all I, I think they, they would mix very well in that environment in the you can't really tar them with that that indie brush of that it's not sloppy, is it? What they do, it's no, no, not. not. You want to see them? You'd you'd happily see them in that NXT tag tag division. Um, yes, they're, they're they're pinpoint. Everything they do looks so good, and them and Satamura felt like a weird fit at first. Sort of like high flying indie superstars and. Japanese wrestling legend. It's not a natural fit. Satama isn't going to blow your mind with 6.30s off the top rope. But everything she does is so real. So it looks like it hurts. I would not want to fight that woman. Oh no, she's, she's going to beat the living shit out of you. Yeah, she, she's unbelievable. You can tell watching her why she is held with such renown. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Japanese wrestling scene just incredible if you ever get a chance if Satomura is ever <coughs> rest <coughs> is ever wrestling somewhere locally to you please go out of your way to see her live she really she is an experience every wrestling fan should have at some point yeah and and, and I've got to tell you um, there was a really good night that and there's there's some also uh, other really good uh, matches on there um, there's a match that went 71 whole minutes, falls count anywhere, um, between Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor versus um, Mustache Mountain, Trevor Treadsman and Tyler Bate. That's definitely one to, to watch. But um, I think, have you got another one of the matches on your list? I do, yeah. There was um, another um, competitor from Satomura's Sendai Girls promotion was over. Um, Dash Chizako competed um, in a four way women's match with um, British standouts Kaylee Ray and Millie McKenzie, the, um, the suplex machine. And the, the fourth woman rounding out this, this match 
is someone who immediately has shot to the top of my list of favourite wrestlers. I'm talking, of course, about Chris Wolfe. I mean, I have never seen a man fall so instantly in love with another human being than you did when Chris Wolf came out with a tail, just dancing. She's a wolf. I think my she fa- is a wolf. I think my favourite moment, probably, maybe that I've seen in wrestling of recently, this year, we'll say, was Chris Wolf dancing when Dash's music was playing and she was coming out. Just in the ring, just, just dancing to Dash's music. Not even to her own, to somebody else's. I think that's the thing with Chris Wolf. Yeah, if you get the chance to see her live as well, is she is always on. She is always in character. She is. The, the, you can't take her, your eyes off her. She's always doing something. Yeah. Even when she was outside the ring selling, she was asking fans for a sip of their beer and stuff, like to sort of recover her energy, if you like. She's. She just. She gets that character so well, and her character is. She's a wolf. Yeah. Chris Wolf is is a wolf. And she just gave just gave me such respect for everything it is she does over the course of one match. And that's that's not to to belittle the other women in the match. It was I mean, phenomenal. That I mean four I mean I've I'd never seen Chris, I'd never seen Dash. Um, both of them were excellent. Uh, Millie McKenzie and Kaylee Ray make me smile every time I know they're on a card because they are just so good. Um, Millie McKenzie has no right to be as good as she is for as young as she is. She is still a teenager and she is so good in a wrestling ring. Like it isn't, it's almost unfair um, that at 30 years old I have not found something I was good at that Millie McKenzie is as wrestling as a teenager. Like ridiculous. Well, you found podcasting now. This is <laughs> this is episode one point one of uh, yeah. I mean, again, again I'm, I'm going back to yeah. I'm still sticking with my statement. Um, and she's just she's just brilliant. Um, and the throw in Dash, who'd never seen before again, who just technically just excellent. And again, everything she did just looked like it hurt. And Chris Wolf, who's just energy she brought, was just phenomenal. So I mean, I, I would agree with you. That was an incredible match. Very very good. And just if. To be honest, if any of those four women are on a card near you, get out and see them. I I must have seen Kaylee Ray on twenty different shows, and I've never seen that girl have a bad match. No, she's she's going to be a superstar one day. I mean, she was in the um, the May Young Classic. I'm still annoyed that she got knocked out in the first round. I don't understand how WWE did that. Uh, obviously, some people have got somebody's got to go out in the first round. But why Kaylee? Why? Yeah, I, I would argue Kaylee is is in the the top ten women's workers in the world may maybe even higher than that oh it's, it's a huge shout but it's difficult it would be difficult to argue with it I mean she's right amongst it I've, I've never seen her have a bad match Millie is just a joy to watch will suplex anything in sight really impressed with Dash and Chris Wolf is the very best wrestler in the world today and I'm not going to argue with you um, I've got uh, two Zack Sabre Jr. matches that I'd like to talk about um for back to progress, but back to back progress shows at chapter sixty three and chapter sixty four. Uh, we were actually again going back to chapter sixty three. We were there together. Um, it was Zack Saber Junior versus um, the, the aforementioned Tyler Bate, um, which was a fucking incredible match, um, a technical masterclass, wasn't it? It was. It was. It's. It's just more evidence, more fuel to the fire of why Zack Saber Junior is right in the upper echelon of wrestling this year. I mean, we've, we've seen him come through and win the New Japan Cup, get his shot at Okada. 
this match was a couple of months before all that happened for him but it was absolute evidence to support why he gets put in these positions by such big companies because he I would argue is the premier technical wrestler in the world right now I mean I know Brian's just come back which muddies the waters a little bit but in terms of like those smooth mat sequences quick transitions everything makes sense everything looks like it hurts I don't think there's someone doing that style this year that I enjoy more than Zack Sabre Jr. doing that style yeah and he has a different way about him there are people who think he's quote boring um, you won't I, I'm not one of them I know Jerry's not one of them um, and that's fine you know I don't criticise those people they like other things but to me he's just he's so different to anything else like even other technical wrestlers he is he can be a bit slower or at least his matches can start slow because the amount of holds and he's trying to get you in a different hold and he grinds you down onto the mat but I just I just I get mesmerised by that and every match might start slow there might be slow bits in it but it's not he's not a slow guy he's not a slow wrestler like you say the trans transitions are so quick and so brilliant and so so, perfect. so smooth everything he does yeah. like and I want to see him. There isn't a single, there, there isn't a single other um, style that I don't want to see him against. Well, this is the thing, and we'll like I'll throw in another match that I had on my list because I mean I have the Tyler Bate match on my list, but I also um, over WrestleMania weekend he wrestled um, for Rev Pro, who are a British promotion, but had a show over in uh, New Orleans, and he uh, wrestled Tomohiro Ishii from New Japan Pro Wrestling, and. Ishii, for those who haven't seen him, smash mouth, classic Japanese wrestler. It's just everything he does is stiff, lots of forearms, lots of suplexes, lots of headbutts. Classic hard-hitting Japanese wrestling. And the story of the match was Zack basically trying to neutralise him with his his technical game. And the psychology of it was fantastic. They, you know, they, It just showed that in a match you don't need to necessarily go out there and do the most moves if you can tell a story and the story of him basically avoiding the knockout blow of Ishii by tying him up was was executed perfectly and that's a match I would very much recommend um, going out of your way to see if you want to see what Zack Sabre Jr. is about you can watch that one on uh, RevPro On Demand or New Japan Wild it's on both services definitely go out of your way to see that because that is peak Zack Sabre Jr. And to add to Zack Sabre Jr.'s body of work, I'll go back to Progress Chapter 64, which was a month after the Bait Show, or a few weeks after the Bait Show, and he fought Jonah Rock, um, another guy from New Zealand, I want to say, it might be Australia, I'm very sorry about two people from that area of the world. I think, I'm pretty certain it's New Zealand. I think it is New Zealand. Um, Jonah Rock, another big, big guy. He's huge, he's a, he's, he's a massive guy, he is... Everything he does is hard, but this is also a guy, I mean, fuck me. Like, Joe, like Zack Sabre Jr. has been brilliant, and part of this match, the reason that this match is so good is Zack Sabre Jr. Part of this match is because this is the first time I'd ever seen Joe Rock in a, in, a, in a wrestling ring, and the dude can go. Like, I text Joey, um, he wasn't there for this match, I text Joey being like, oh my god, this guy's huge, he's fucking brilliant, halfway through the match. And then, he climbed to the top rope, the top turnbuckle and did a 450 splash um, not a 450 splash sorry a frog, frog splash but then climbed 
the turnbuckle again and did a fucking moonsault. So he's done a frog splash and a moonsault and the guy's built like fucking... Vader. Vader, yeah. And he can fly like Vader. And he flies like Vader. He's the second, he's New Zealand's Vader. We may have found a new Vader. He's, honestly, Jonah Rock is fucking brilliant. Um, I didn't know anything about him going into this match other than the fact that he was a big dude. Um, is he the best rock that wrestling has ever seen? He is the best rock that wrestling has ever seen. That is a big statement. <laughs> um, he's definitely the best rock that's ever had a match with Zack Sabre Jr. Um, although Zack Sabre Jr. could get a good match out of a rock. Not the rock, as in just a rock, just a random He probably rock. could get a good match yeah. out of the rock. Oh, Dwayne, almost, Dwayne almost, Johnson. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Even though he's the same size as the one of the rock's arms. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, Zack Sabre Jr. gets bait as a tactic. Technical masterclass, um, proper old school world of sports style. Yeah, mat um, classic that one. Against Ishi was um, a story of him avoiding um, a big. Yeah, this guy smashed him. Yeah, and against Rock was just a, a, again a totally different style. And yeah, there was bits of him trying to avoid, um, you know, Jonah Rock's um, offense, but there was also all sorts of different things. And just you know, again, Sabre Junior, a bit like we were talking about Walter earlier, is just a guy who is on this incredible run. He's on a hot streak, isn't he, this year? I think there's there's a few guys you can point to that are on that sort of run of everything they touch turns to gold. Um, I would I would have Gargano on that. I would have Almas on that. Yeah. Um, I think you'd have to have Kenny Omega on that. Yeah, again, Omega, um, probably for the second year in a row. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's putting together an incredible body of work. I think for those who follow New Japan, um, Minoru Suzuki would have to be on that same level. He's had some very, very good matches this year. I won't get into them too much. I mean, we could do a five-hour podcast on every good match we've seen this year. But it's worth checking out um, Minoru Suzuki against um, Hiroshi Tanahashi in particular. That was an incredible match. Okay, well, you know what? While we're on Suzuki, um, there's a match that I want to talk about, and I know it's on your list. I think it's on your list as well. Um, we're talking about we go back to WrestleMania weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the other indie shows, and let's talk about Matt Riddle's Bloodsport. That show was something completely different. So, the sort of thing that you you just don't see in pro wrestling. I mean, there's there's companies that try and do the more technical side. There's companies that are maybe a little bit. MMA influenced in, in what they do but it's still pro wrestling um, but what Matt Riddle uh, former UFC fighter himself he's now a top pro wrestler he's put basically put together a pro wrestling meets early UFC style of event um, there's no ropes so no rope breaks no turnbuckles nothing just basically a wrestling ring with just a mat on it would that be right to say yeah I mean there was obviously still turnbuckles there because you know they were there for the rest of the shows um, but there was no ropes but they didn't have the actual like buckle no no no, no. Buckle Sorry, things no just the, yeah. Yeah. there was just, like the ring post yeah, but ring not the post, actual yeah, buckles ring posts ring posts that's, that's the word I was looking for um, yeah so just a ring no ropes no nothing um, as you say there's no rope breaks the only way you could win matches is by knockout or submission um, proper UFC style going back to like the early ones with like Ken Shamrock and yeah and you say early styles because we're talking about there wasn't any weight classes so we're talking about big dudes going up against skinny dudes yeah um, that, that whole sort of no holds barred fight in the UFC marketed itself out at the start before it became rubbish boxing and 
I, do, I know, to be honest, I'm, I'm being facetious there. I do enjoy MMA, but I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that early era of the shows before everyone became accomplished at any, uh, every discipline. And as you say, right, this was a totally different for a wrestling show. It was totally different for anything else that happened at NOLA that week, that weekend, right? Um, we have some great. There's, there's lots of great matches on this, on this card. Or, well, maybe not great matches, but really interesting matches. Um, and I just thought everything was great. I mean, Gage versus Thatcher was on there, was fantastic. We had Lawler, uh, um, what's his name? What's his first name? Um, Tom Lawler. Tom Filthy. Filthy Tom Lawler, former UFC star, himself up against Walter. Um, Dan the Beast 7. That was my personal highlight. Fucking Dan the Beast 7 was on this show. That's how old school MMA UFC were talking. Like. Dan the B7 is so badass, and if this is a name you don't know, let me just sum him up in a very, very short way. Dan the B7 is so badass that he turned up to one of the early UFCs when he was UFC champion with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship belt that he simultaneously held in pro wrestling. Dude's 59! He is 59 years old, he looks like Yadar, and he could beat the living shit out of most people on this planet. He's 59, his last official MMA fight, still in this decade, was 2012. It's fucking ridiculous. He, and I think he won. He, he's a beast. He, um, and, you know, Brock Lesnar gets called the beast. He's had but, 127 MMA fights. But the, the original beast in MMA was Dan Seven. That was, it. that was his name. He won a lot of the early UFCs. He was an early UFC super fight champion, which went before their heavyweight title. Um, former NWA heavyweight champion, wrestled in WWE in the 90s during the Attitude Era. And here he is, nearly 60 having a pretty brutal, stiff match with Chris Dickinson. It was just fucking great. It's just great. And that was, yeah. But match of the night was Matt Riddle versus uh, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, that, I mean that. Suzuki, like I said, check out his stuff in Japan. He is on a, a hot streak. He's another former MMA fighter. He's 50 now. Um, and he's just out here having absolute classics with guys like Matt Riddle. And fair play to Matt Riddle, right? If you're gonna have a, a you put on a show you've done something completely different you're supposed to be facing um, Loki he decides day or two before that he's not coming he's got a neck injury apparently um, <laughs> not that we don't believe you Key get well soon <laughs> um, and you're in NOLA and you can face fucking anyone and Matt Riddle goes out and gets one of the baddest men on the planet and oh, the, the, the thing is as well, where he deserves credit as a promoter, is no disrespect to Loki, I think Suzuki is just a much bigger name. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's the better fight. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I think it made that show must-see, whereas I think Loki Riddle, you'd have been like, you know what, that's cool, I dig that. Yeah. If it's Suzuki Riddle, because of Suzuki's background in MMA, plus how good he's been this year you look at that and go that's a dream match yeah and that's, that's literally a dream match I say that that whole show was excellent um, and it was just different and it was just I think the diff I think the fact that it was different just made it so 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 good and so interesting to watch um, that's thing it holds the attention doesn't it there's no real lull because because they've gone MMA style none of the the fights last too long that you get no, bored with them they yeah. all they all get in and get out 
in good time. Um, so it's a very easy watch. Yeah. And if, if you've got if you've got any interest in MMA at all, even like a sort of casual interest, I think you'll get something from this show. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I think just Suzuki versus Riddle was, was excellent. And Riddle is another guy. Um, maybe not um, on that list of, of guys who have had the greatest years, but I just think in the last two years, Riddle is one of those guys who just... I mean, I think he fought nine times at Noah or something ridiculous like that. Um, including a match against James Ellsworth, which was brief, but a lot of fun. Um, and he's just fighting loads of different dudes, and Riddle, everything that Riddle does just looks good, generally speaking. Great, he's got a great um, look, charismatic. He he could go as far as he wants to in wrestling. I don't... The vibe I get from him is I think he's more comfortable doing his own thing than maybe getting involved in the WWE or Impact machine. Yeah, I think, right now, I think right now he's in the perfect place. Um, he's doing loads of indie dates and he's another guy who I would say if he's doing an indie date near you, and at some point he probably is, try and go and see him. Um, again, he looks different um, to most wrestlers and he does things that are different to most wrestlers because he's still fighting a UFC and MMA style but it's working for him every time. Um, I think one of the first matches I saw him against, uh, saw him in was against Rampage Brown. Um, and the ending of the match was different to wrestling because normally in wrestling matches, someone hits a big move, one, two, three, that's it. Or someone hits a big move, it's a, and you tap out, it's a finisher. And all he did was kick Rampage Brown until Rampage Brown could not answer the count. There was no big move, it was just loads of brutal kicks. They tried to pin him and Rampage kicked out after two. He tried to kick him loads more times and Rampage Brown kicked out too. And he kicked him loads more times and he couldn't answer the count. And it was just an excellent finish. And Riddle does stuff like that. Because again, it looks legit. It is legit. Because he's a badass man. And his fight with Suzuki is two guys who are legit. Who can beat the shit out of each other. Beating the shit out of each other. And it's really fun. It's a good match. Um, and I definitely recommend that one. Do you have anything else you want to talk about on your card? I've, I feel like we could we could probably go on forever with the, with this year. I mean, what a general point I just wanted to make is I feel, especially with the access, increased accessibility of different things, WWE Network, all these streaming services. Fight, I mean, Fight TV and WWN, the stuff they did over NOLA was just incredible. Um, and being able to watch three, I watched three shows um, for $15, which is fucking brilliant. Um, yeah, it's it, that's the thing. It's 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 so good. You can get this stuff. You used to have to wait sort of three weeks, four weeks for these things on DVD. You can get them straight to your living room now at the touch of a button, and and the quality of in ring action that's out there at the moment, like so far this year. I mean, we we we've, we've we've not even probably touched upon every match on each of our lists, but there's there's so much good quality wrestling out there in 2018. I just implore everyone to get out there watch as much as they can because even if you're we, we barely talked about Wrestlemania and it wasn't a bad Wrestlemania it had a, an average finish but it had Nicholas on it for God's sake and we haven't talked about Nicholas we haven't, we haven't talked about Ronda Rousey being the best thing at Wrestlemania and she was apart fucking, from Nicholas apart from Nicholas and she was bloody marvellous she was arguably one of the best things the whole Wrestlemania weekend a weekend that had loads of marvellous things it was brilliant. Like we've talked about a lot of stuff that happened WrestleMania weekend, be it NXT, be it Matt Riddle's Bloodsport, be it um, 
uh, Joe Janella's. Um, I've not talked about Beyond. Beyond had some decent matches on there as well. Um, and yeah, Ronda Rousey. That's true, actually. That is a glaring omission because, I mean, for me, it's got to be the best debut match anyone has had. Like, in terms, not, not WWE debut, I mean, first pro wrestling match anyone has ever been involved in. It just happened to be at WrestleMania. It just happened to be at WrestleMania. Against two legends and Kurt Angle. <laughs> we both went to make the same joke there. Um, in the same way that I made that joke about Daniel Bryan and uh, Shea McMahon um, uh, on the night. But yeah, she was excellent. She had a great debut. She was over as fuck. Every, and what I liked about it is they kept it in her wheelhouse. They didn't put her in any positions that she's too green to handle. They told her to go out there with you know a really experienced guy in Triple H, someone like Stephanie McMahon who you know is going to get reactions for everything she does, and you know she was allowed to sling suplexes and do arm bars and beat the shit out of people, and they really they pulled out every stop to keep her looking strong, which I think was exactly what was needed because she's the biggest star they've got. As much as they want Roman Reigns to be the biggest star they've got. And I mean, the reasons why he isn't are for another podcast. Um, but that, I think they they did everything in their power to make Ronda look like a superstar. And she performed excellently and it worked. And I think everyone else in that match deserves credit as well. I think it's Kurt Angle's best, the best he's looked since he's come back. Yeah, absolutely. Triple H is could be doing this till he's 80 if he wanted just once a year just not yeah just knock it out of the park he's a genius isn't he I mean I don't I, th- I think because of the, the you know who he's married to and stuff I don't think he always gets the credit he deserves for the fact that he's just brilliant yeah he's just he just gets the business and I think that comes from being around people like uh, Shawn Michaels for so long being around people like Ric Flair I think he's he's just he gets the business he knows inside out and for all the joking of our Triple H Berries people he's not afraid to put people over he just no isn't no one that's... has lost at Wrestlemania more than Triple H exactly it's such a uh, misconception that our oh, Triple H will bury you Triple H always puts himself over everyone and he doesn't he is never afraid to to show show some mass in a match yeah absolutely and I just I mean everything that there was the build and everything for the Rousey match and Rousey herself and everybody in there. I mean, that was, that was probably one of, as I say, it was one of the best moments of that weekend, of a, a weekend of unbelievable matches and unbelievable moments. And they deserve, WWE deserve major props for that. Ronda Rousey deserves major props for that. Triple H, Kurt, even Stephanie McMahon. Who, hey, she hit, I'll tell you what, I, I will criticise her when she deserves it. But, but she, she carried her end of that brilliantly. Yeah, the the facial expressions. The, absolutely. She was there more for the storytelling than the, the world-class wrestling. And I, I'll tell you what, she, she knocked it out of the park. Very impressed with Steph. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think, as you say, take the, the main thing we should take away from this is wrestling in 2018 is the fucking best. Um, go out watch as much as you can watch everything uh, let us know what you enjoyed what you have enjoyed so far this year and um, we will hopefully do another one of these um, in the second half of the year that's the plan I to mean... discuss what we've liked from April from the beginning of April till the summer um, and we will go forward with these next week um, we are hoping to do um, 
a show about EWR um, and we will kick off a bit of a project. Um, please hit us up um, at Rowdy Poddy on Twitter, at Rowdy Poddy on uh, Instagram. And let us know what you've liked so far this year. Let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know how annoying my voice is and how wonderful Joey's is. Oh, let us yeah. know everything. Um, I've been Ryan Siddle, and this has been Joey Mills. And for now, goodbye. Peace. You want the truth? I'm going to shoot with you on this one.